Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Never too early to talk college football. Never too early to talk about what's going on with the NCAA. Daniel Libet. Uh, does a fantastic job as a reporter for Sportico. Is a guy who will sue for public records. Uh, journalist living in the Chicago area has looked at the latest tax return from the NCAA, and he's joining us now. Daniel, thank you for making time. Thank you for the introduction. That's a great way to be introduced. Appreciate it. I love that. You sound so close. <laughs> You're joining us via Zoom, which is fantastic. But uh, give us an idea. Your background, what got you into journalism and and the interest in public records and uh, investigative reporting you know i spent the first uh more than half of my career so far covering politics um for a number of different outlets and then not long after the 2016 uh presidential race which we will all remember um i i made a dovetail into covering college sports and started writing about uh, a very specific blog dedicated to the University of New Mexico, where I investigated them for a couple of years and then kind of expanded and looked nationally at college sports and um, have been at uh, Sportico writing enterprise and investigative stories primarily on college athletics for the last two and a half years or so. And that's been my been my arc. The NCAA is an interesting entity. You now have uh, a former lawmaker and Charlie Baker who's been a governor, who's in charge of the NCAA, Mark Emmert out of the picture. Um, you know, you, you looked at the filings. Uh, you know, what period of time do does this latest tax filing cover? And what are you looking for? Or are you just kind of at first saying, hey, this is out, I'll check it out? Well, I think the context, you know, sort of it wouldn't be hard for your listeners to anticipate, which is, you know, this is a organization that is in distress if not in ultimate decline. You know, we've been in any number of ways witnessing if it's the antitrust cases against the NCAA, if it was the advent of NIL, um, despite the NCAA's resistance, um, and a whole host of other things, other kind of social and economic factors um, that are really putting this once all-powerful organization on its heels uh, so, you know, here's the annual opportunity to look at uh, their their financial disclosures. So this one covers the tax year of 2021. It's their fiscal year of 2022. So it was the 12-month period that ended uh, last summer, um, which, you know, here's now a couple of years out from the start of COVID and when college sports was able to return. This is uh, the last full year of Mark Emmert being president, he uh, stepped down two months ago. So we'll see next tax season um, what he ultimately cashed out with or the mo- most of what he ultimately cashed out with. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of litigation. We see the, the NCAA's legal fees, legal expenditures, their lobbying, um, their revenues. You know, this is an organization that... Uh, still controls over a billion dollars of revenue, as was borne out in their most recent filing, a billion dollars of revenue that's generated primarily through uh, the men's and women's basketball tournament, um, most of which is passed along 
to the schools, but a, a, a nice chunk that goes to at least a handful of top NCAA officials, including the president, Mark Emmert. Uh, the story I wrote off of uh, the recent filing uh, that was released today actually focuses on another former NCAA executive, a guy named Donald Remy, who last served as the chief operating officer and before that, for about a decade, was the top in-house lawyer for the NCAA, kind of presided over the NCAA's legal strategy during a decade-long period where it was just losing in court left and right, um, and, and then left the NCAA mid-2021 to become a deputy secretary uh, in the Department of Veteran Affairs in the Biden administration, a job that he just recently stepped down from a month and a half ago. Um, he, uh, he was actually the highest paid person at the NCAA for this particular 12-month period, uh, in part due to a $2.5 million severance payment he was given on the way out the door. Uh, so he made technically more in, uh, in the fiscal year 2022 than Mark Emmert. I think uh, he made about $3.5 million. Uh, Emmert made a, a few hundred thousand dollars less than that, but still uh, did quite well. You know, as you talk about this, we always think of the NCAA, and you know what I see, Daniel? I see a logo. I see their logo, and then maybe I see Mark Emmert's face. But what are we talking about? Yeah. How many people work for the NCAA, and you know, how wide-ranging is this organization? Yeah, well, that's always the question is, you know, yeah, the, the NCAA is often misconstrued. The NCAA is its member institutions. You know, the NCAA is all of, of in terms of its governance and its power, are all of the schools that have agreed to play by this uh, set of rules and that have agreed to delegate the governance to this uh, not-for-profit organization in the Indianapolis. Um, so that's one way. That's the macro way to look at it. The NCAA is everybody. And, and obviously, Mark Emmert's been an interesting figure. He's been a sort of popular pinata uh, on the way out the door, everybody. Uh, seem to have negative feelings, or most everybody seem to have negative feelings about Mark Emmert, if it was athlete representatives or schools or people in Washington, members of Congress. Um, but he was just one person effectively carrying out the the uh, the mission that was uh, decided upon by the Board of Governors and by the schools that the Board of Governors represents. Um, so you can think of it as just the president. You can think of it in the largest sense as all the schools that participate and then as an organization it's an organization of 600 or or, or now a few uh less than 600 people who work in it in indianapolis interestingly enough um one of those people who is not working in indianapolis is the new NCAA president you just mentioned charlie baker who um upon leaving the governor's mansion in massachusetts um and taking over from Emmert, the uh, job as NCAA president uh, made it made the decision not to actually move out to Indy, um, but to stay in Massachusetts uh, in, in large part because his real work is focused on lobbying Congress for NCAA friendly federal legislation. Now we're watching lawsuits all over the country, NIL um, athletes, uh, you know, making the moves that will. I guess, are the precursors to them organizing and uh, potentially collective bargaining. And it feels to me like the entities themselves, Daniel, are scared 
that you know the the schools themselves are going hey this is going to really hurt uh, the bottom line and hurt the model when I say that you know you're looking at a tax filing that shows uh, that you know this is you've got you know people making you know minting millionaires basically as you know the revenues that rising and you've got people making several million dollars in these jobs you have the revenue up uh, you know uh, 1.2 billion dollars and so when I say that you know I'm sure those who are working on behalf of college athletes are going they're rubbing their hands together going there's 1.2 billion dollars out there yeah well that was certainly the reaction i saw on social media to the story i posted and and that we've seen elsewhere when uh the the financials come out from either the conferences or the ncaa i should note the 1.2 billion dollars doesn't even touch really college football at all so there's billions more on an annual basis that's generated uh through college athletics but yeah to your point um, it, there is no no question an existential threat to the to the uh, system as we've come to know it. Um, I think the safe money is on something profoundly changing. You know, the end of the NCAA and college governance as we know it at some time not into the too distant future. Um, the lawsuits, uh, as we've seen. You know, the, the the direction is only going one way, beginning with the Alston case. That was a 9-0 Supreme Court decision in favor of athletes um, against the wishes of the NCAA. Uh, there's a number of other uh, federal cases that are going on that strike at the heart of athlete compensation and athlete employment rights. Um, obviously, we're going on on the West Coast with USC. There's the NLRB case. Um, uh, challenging the employment status through an administrative process of college athletes. Uh, it's not looking good for those who want to uh, sort of continue amateurism as we've come to know it, um, really in any way, shape, or form. And it doesn't, there's nothing really out there that seems to be slowing the ball. The, the Hail Mary is the idea that Congress is going to pass some sort of legislation that might address NIL, but effectively just stop uh, the way that the pendulum is swinging on all else, um, you know, having covered Congress, but just being a an American adult <laughs> witnessing Congress in that capacity, I think, I think it seems far-fetched that Congress um, is going to be able to come together for some sort of really substantial college sports reform. While there's many hearings that are held each year, Congress didn't even make a move uh, right up to uh, NIL coming into effect when uh, that was being discussed as as potentially an end to college sports. Uh, a bill couldn't even get passed out of committee uh, ahead of that. So I, I think I would be betting against uh, Congress doing anything significant. Um, I'm sure there will be bills proposed. Um, there will certainly be a lot of talk on the Hill, and that has not been um, without some purpose, but I, I can't imagine federal legislation basically putting a halt to what's going on in the courts and really just what's going on in the popular opinion as it relates to college sports. Daniel Libet is with us, Sportico. Uh, you know, I look at, we had Sonny Vaccaro on the show. He talked about the O'Bannon case, um, you know, the Supreme yeah. Court. It's the Supreme Court. I mean, it was, you know, if it's a football game, you know, it's, it's like, you know, that was 42 to nothing. The Supreme Court just said, hey, don't come back here. How much does that case, the O'Bannon case, 
loom in the background of everything that you think you see happening now and into the future? Well, it's sort of what it's it's what kicked everything off in in a sense, and it and it did so at a time when it was really an unpopular opinion. The idea that athletes not only that they shouldn't just get directly compensated for their play, but that they should have an opportunity to earn anything while they were athletes based on their athletic uh, talent. Um, so you know, it, it was a long time coming um, from when the O'Bannon case got filed. Uh, to you know the developments of the last couple of years, and but we definitely seem like we've hit um, the top of the slope, and and the momentum now is coming fast. Projections that people were making about change that could happen in five or ten years, maybe, have already happened. When you even just look at NIL, you look at where we went from the day that NIL went into effect to collectives coming on board to collectives becoming popularized. Um, those were, you know, when I was talking with people in the industry who, who are generally very smart and, and, uh, and have good intuitions, these, this was the kind of development that people thought was years away, five years away. And it happened within a year of NIL going into effect. So if that's, you know, if, if history, recent history is our guide, then I think the expectation is, is that change continues, you know, radical change continues to happen fast. And the one thing about, you know, going back to the NCAA, the one thing that the NCAA has never been able to do in the modern era is get ahead of a revolution. And it hasn't had to for a while. It hasn't had to for decades. Um, but it is not, it is not kind of conditioned to think, okay, this is eventually going to come around the corner. Why don't we just take the leap and try to you sort of beat, beat a, a change to, uh, to the punch um, and maybe do something that we wouldn't want to necessarily do in the short term because that will give us an opportunity to kind of control the future going forward. That The NCAA has never done that. I mean, NIL is a perfect test case. The NCAA knew this was coming down the pike and just could not get itself to do any kind of significant reform. There was reforms beforehand. It was a lot of foot dragging. Um, and then ultimately it just got dragged into NIL. Um, and, and never really had an opportunity to have a say. It was, it was effectively at the, at the point of the bayonet of all the state-based legislation, first in California and then across the country. So, you know, this is an, this is an old dinosaur of an organization um, that has a lot, you know, as, as, as its current president is trying to sort of lobby Congress to, to halt things effectively, to halt, halt this sort of athlete right change that's going on. Um, it, it really is in an identity crisis. You know, why is it in Indianapolis? Does that serve the purpose? Does it need 600 employees? Does it need 30 employees? Does it need 1,200 employees? What is its enforcement division supposed to do, especially if uh, state legislatures and courts are, are, are potentially going to rip away um, the, the enforcement need on some of these questions about athlete compensation and so forth? So, um, it's an interesting time and, and, you know, so that, that is how I view this document. It is, it yeah. is just, uh, kind of ticking off, uh, the, the, uh, the future of, of the NCAA and looking at, you know, still a very significant organization, but one whose time may have ultimately come. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Supreme court basically has said, don't come back here, figure this out. You come back here, it won't end well for you. 
Daniel Libet with us. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise. I think it's a fantastic read. If you're interested in finding out more about the document, uh, Daniel's work, uh, you can find it on Sportico. You can also find him at Daniel Libet on Twitter. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet. Uh, interesting stuff. Now, keep in mind, um, you know, when you look at the NCAA as an entity, it, it you know, we see it going on in the background of college athletics, but it, it, it has very little oversight anymore. Certainly not in the college postseason. It's the college football playoff. The CFP controls the postseason. The bowl season is the bowl season. Um, even EA college football, for people who played EA college football back in the day, it's coming back, and there will be a $5 million uh, player pool that will be split evenly among players who opt in. Um, so you're going to see, I think, players who are featured in video games get paid, and I do think you're going to have some star players who try to negotiate outside of that pool and say, hey, if you want me in on it, Caleb Williams, hey, you want me being part of this game, it, you know, I, I don't get an even share. I need more. Um, it's not Wild West. It's it's capitalism at its best. I know this stuff is dry, and I and I hesitate a little bit, like diving into this, because I'm not sure how much you find it interesting. But I'm into it. Leave it here. Shannon Sharp uh, speaking out on the John Morant front. John Morant uh, had a welfare check. His sheriff's deputies in uh, his hometown. Checking on him after he posted on social media that uh, basically goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And um, turns out he's saying he was just saying goodbye to the to social media. But Shannon Sharp went off on this uh, today. And he said he would love to have uh, he would love to have a conversation with John. I think John needs to take this time for himself. Think about what it is that he wants his NBA career to be and how he wants to be remembered. Yeah. Because right now, history is not looking at him favorable. No. It's looking like he wants to do other things other than play basketball. I don't think the NBA is going to allow you to be a part-time thug and a part-time NBA player. You get to choose one or the other. Hopefully, he chooses the latter, and he becomes a full-time basketball player. But I think John, I, I do think John needs some, some, uh, some guidance, some counseling. I would love to sit down and just have a conversation I, with him. And say, John, what, you, what, what do you yeah. want, bro? Do you understand how much uh, God has given you? And my grandmother used to have a saying all the time. She said, boy, don't be ungrateful to God. And you, what she means by that, Skip, sometimes we get so much and we forget just the simple blessing of waking up. Mm. John, you've been blessed tenfold. Don't squander this. There you go. Shannon Sharp spitting some truth there. Uh, Stephen, you, you've worked in the NBA world with the Blazers organization. I think sometimes we forget that the players in the league come into the league very young. I think socially they're underdeveloped because they have been coddled and passed along as young people because they have talent in basketball. It used to be people used to say, oh, look at this football player. He can't even read, and they passed him on from fourth grade to fifth grade. I don't think it's that anymore, but I think there is a underdeveloped social circle that is not uncommon to some of the young star players, in, particularly in basketball, because they have just been treated differently to you know and enabled in a way. And, and you don't attract 
people who are going to give it to you real. Like Shannon Sharp's trying to, like, hey, I want to get real with you about what you need. You, you know, you don't attract that. You instead attract people who tell you what you want to hear all the time. Definitely, and I think in the NBA it's it's always so different, I think, than other sports because we see their faces, right? Like in the NFL, they wear helmets. You can't necessarily see their faces. Baseball, they wear hats. Hockey, they wear helmets. Like the NBA, we see your face the whole time. And so, like, it's undeniable to see, you know, you want to put your face out there and be recognized. So I think for Ja, like, and for a lot of young people, it's just they want to be out there. They want to be recognized. They want to be getting likes. And that, and I feel like him as a young kid, like, that's what he's doing. And there's got to be someone to hold him accountable. And there just hasn't been because that's just kind of the culture of basketball. Like you talked about, AAU scene. It, it's a lot of yes, yes, yes. You know, you're the best. You're going to be a D1 athlete. You're going to be an NBA guy. Let, just follow me and it's going to be perfect. But then it doesn't work out. And then there's no one to blame except for yourself because you just believe the wrong people. And I think Ja right now ha- just has to reevaluate who he's looking at in his life to, you know, someone needs to call him out. And, so, and I don't know if someone's going to be able to do that because – like if I'm one of Jaws boys, like he's probably you know helped me out with his with money and with a life. Yep. Like I don't know that I want to necessarily you know, hurt that relationship. So it's gonna be hard for Jaw, I think, to break this cycle that he's in right now. And it's just unfortunate because, like you know, my kid is eight years old. He loves John Morant, like watching him play basketball. He thinks he's awesome because he could dunk. He can do all these cool things on the court. But man, you're 23 years old and you've already been you know in trouble like this. You're suspended from all team activities. You're coming into a new five-year deal. It, he's got to figure it out, man, because it's just for him. Like, for him, he's got to figure it out for his life, not just for his basketball career. Yeah, and, you know, look, I've, we've seen this before. I, 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 You've seen people who have good influences around him and bad influences around him. We all know people in our own circles who have good influences and bad influences. Also, you know, some people are followers and some people are leaders. And, I, you know, I, I think the worst combination is – the combination of being a follower and also having bad people in your circle. I mean, it's logically, that makes sense to me. And I think just as, as a classic example of that, I don't think Zach Randolph, when he came into the league, necessarily had good influences around him. And for people who know Zebo's story, the Blazers draft him in the first round. He, you know, he's a kid that... Uh, you know, whose brother went to prison, Roger uh, Randolph, Zebo's brother was in prison when he was drafted. The Blazers did a background check on Zach Randolph. I obtained the background check. I saw that they talked to his elementary school teachers. They talked to his high school teachers. And the the common thread was, really nice kid, has a good heart, bit of a follower, tends to attract bad people. Um, and But if you, know, if you can get that kid into the NBA in a way where you get some good influences and uh, you know some strong leadership around him in the locker room, a kid like that will flourish because he'll follow the right people and gravitate towards the right people. But if you introduce a player into an environment that has no culture and doesn't have strong leadership in the locker room, and uh, look out. And I I have a sneaking suspicion that that's in play here with John Morant, in addition to whatever's going on in his personal life. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.